Lord, you are so good, and we thank you for it. Lord, I thank you. You took a hold of us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, put our feet on a rock. I thank you, Lord. It's quicksand everywhere else, but we're on the one solid place. I thank you for all of that. And this morning, as we open the word of God, let light shine into every heart present, Lord. Give wisdom and understanding and the veil removed for people to see the truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to talk this morning about the gospel. And um, I want to answer the question, what is the gospel? Now, everyone thinks they know what it is. It's not what you thought. <laughs> That's why I'm going to talk about it. And um, when I was a kid, we, um, you know, we went to youth, we went to church, we um, were always told we had to be witnesses. I'm not saying anything different to that today. Yeah, you need to be witnesses. But we used to feel guilty if we weren't. I don't know about you, I remember a sermon where someone read from Ezekiel somewhere, and I probably should have looked up that reference for you. But it said, it was talking about the blood on your head if you didn't, you know, if you didn't tell someone and they ended up in their sin, the blood would be, you know, their blood would be on you kind of thing. You know, but if you told them and then they ignored you, well, their blood would be on them. <laughs> so quick, tell all your friends so that their blood will be on them, not on you. <laughs> you know, all of that type of stuff was being preached when I was a kid and you, you saw, um, you went to youth camps and people said things like, um, you know, if you don't share the gospel with people, um, and they go to hell, it's all your fault. Now, that is all true, but I want to talk about the gospel this morning in a way that makes it easy for you and delightful for you to want to be a witness without feeling the guilt trip. And, um, and I think the way to do that is to answer the question, what is the gospel? And I think when you can see the way I'm seeing it at least, what the gospel is, I think you're going to say to yourself, wow, that's so easy, and you're just going to want to talk about Jesus to everyone. Or at least that's what happened to me. So um, I remember when I was in high school, um, we were somewhere, and I think it was a youth camp, and we must have had a guest speaker or someone, and they got this prophetic word for me. And in hindsight, either they were wrong, because you know sometimes people can be wrong, or it just miraculously hasn't come to pass yet. But the word they got was that I was going to witness to all my school friends and they were all going to come to Jesus Christ. Well, I left youth camp with a guilt trip that I had the job, that basically the responsibility for bringing all my school friends to Christ, you know, was firmly, well and truly upon me. And I went to school feeling so pressured, I guess you could say, that I had to talk to them about Jesus. And I remembered walking from the library one day with one of my school friends and saying something in a mumbled kind of not very well thought out method, something about, there's this thing I've just got to tell you <laughs> about Jesus. And uh, I kind of said something like, if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to go to hell or something. Not very well. And he said, yeah, 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 whatever, and didn't ignore it and all of that. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, well, I tried. Um, so I'd fulfilled the kind of like technical obligation of having said something and I'd gotten the guilt trip off my chest. I was just like 13 or something. But um, 
thinking about it all many times since, I realized the guilt trip wasn't helpful, and the method I went about doing it wasn't helpful at all. <laughs> and um, when you say things to people like that, you don't represent the truth of the message of Christ very well. You don't give them much of a chance of understanding anything at all about it. And of course their natural reaction is going to be to ignore it because they don't have a clue what you're talking about and it sounds very pushy and they're just going to you know, do what anyone would do. It's a bit like someone turning up at your door and you're most all the young people here won't get this at all. But if you're a little bit older, you'll get it. Someone knocking on your door with trying to sell you a whole entire volume of encyclopedias. And everyone here today just goes to Wikipedia or wherever. But there used to be a time when there was no Wikipedia and you had to do school assignments. I remember doing a school assignment on the coelacanth. Some of you don't know what that is, but it's a fish. And it's a fish that, that apparently died out 70 million years ago. Now, of course, I don't believe that, but that's how the story goes. And then they found this fish, well and truly alive, swimming around the ocean off the coast of Madagascar. So, oh, they call it a living fossil. Well, the truth is, it never died out. It's just been here ever since the Lord made it. And, you know, it's all very, very cool. And I did this school assignment on it. So to find out about the coelacanth, spelt C-O-E-L-A-C-A-N-T-H, more like solacanth or colacanth, I had to go to my trusty encyclopedia because there was no Wikipedia back then. Well, we all did that for school assignments. And I, you know, there'd be times in class where the teacher would say things like, you know, this is your research opportunity, and everyone would race for the letter of the encyclopedia that they wanted. And woe behold if you, know, you were doing a project with someone else in the class and the same letter, and they beat you to the encyclopedia first, and you had to wait your turn. The worst thing was when you open the encyclopedia and you read your little article on the coelacanth and it refers you to some other article with a different letter of the alphabet and someone else has that copy of the encyclopedia. So you still have to wait your turn. Yet the world has changed. But how cool it would have been to have your own volume, your own series of volumes at home, and people did. People would, salesmen would go door to door selling entire sets of encyclopedias and you know, they would use all the greater sales techniques to explain that this will only cost you $3 a day for the next 12 months or whatever. Which, you know, if you add that up, that's like $1,000. Which, you know, it doesn't sound so expensive when they break it down to $3 a day. Anyway, a lot of us felt like we had to be pushy salesmen to get people in the door of church. But people immediately, especially in our modern culture, they immediately push back against that pushy salesman approach because it's not the way... Our, our culture's changed. Our culture is now made up of people who are self-thinking people. They like to decide whether they want to buy something or not. They spend hours researching before they make a purchase decision. You can't just push something on them like change your whole entire way of life and, and, all, and expect that all to be done in one minute just by telling them they're going to go to hell. People react very strongly against pushy salesmanship. But there are ways of getting people interested in the Lord and thank God it's so much easier and it's so much more effective. If I had have known this when I was a high school student, I would not have done the approach that I went. You know, and I technically ticked the box of talking to all my high school friends about the Lord. None of them came to Christ. 
I suspect all of them went further away from the Christ because of my approach. But the prophecy may, if it was true, may still come to pass because of other things that may still yet happen. Certainly not the least that I've been praying for them through the course of my life that they'll come to Christ. And they may come to the Lord just because I've prayed for them. So that was the teenage upbringing in church that I had, and probably many of you have shared a similar experience. I used to look up to Justin Morgan because he brought people to Christ. He, brought, he used to go out and witness and people would actually get saved. That was incredible. How did he do it? <laughs> Amazing. And um, when I went to Mount Morgan and the church only had three people in it, um, I knew we'd have to do something to get the church to grow. And then, of course, it wasn't long before one person died and the other two left. So I had no one in the church. And um, so then I really had to be the evangelist. Now, I decided I was going to do... I did, all, I did all sorts of things to preach the gospel, and I reckon I alienated people um, by my pushy methods that I didn't understand at the time would not work for most people. Some people will respond to um, the direct presentation of the gospel, but many people will not. Many people, um, before they buy anything, want to know that it's a good purchase. They'll often ask their friends, I'm thinking of buying a Toyota Hilux. Is it a good car? You know, you drive a Hilux, what's it like? Can I have a drive of your Hilux and see what it feels like? You know, they'll Google, you know, uh, and Hiluxes are Toyotas, so they're reasonably reliable. So, you know, but if it was a Lada Neva, <laughs> people might have doubts. And um, so the, the culture we live in is one where people want to be sure and that's the way of it. But I didn't realise all of that, and in Mount Morgan I decided to go door knocking. I went door to door to door, trying to share the gospel with people. How many people do you think I led to the Lord knocking on door after door? None. It's because it doesn't work. And um, as much as I admire people that do go door to door, and are, and are very brave, may I add, does take a certain amount of courage to do so, as I well know from the experience of it, that I would sometimes stand in front of a door, my heart beating in my chest, as though I was about to go bungee jumping or something. I've never done bungee jumping and you will not get me to. You'll have to tie me up and take me up there and throw me off. That's the only way it'll happen. And, um, but, you know, I imagine that that's how you would feel as you stand on the edge of a giant precipice about to leap off with only a rope tied to your leg. It doesn't make sense at all. But your heart would be beating and you'd be scared, even though logically you know it's going to be okay. Well, that's how I would feel before I would knock on doors. And I would say to myself, I have to do this because otherwise they may never hear the gospel. So I would force myself to do it and thank God it got easier as you went along but it didn't mean it was any more effective as you went along. It was never more effective, and I suspect that as culture has gone along with the internet and various things, it's become less and less effective. John Wesley used to, this is a couple of hundred years ago, he would preach the gospel on the street corner in London, and people would just get saved like that. The culture was different. You can't do that now. People are not in the same headspace as what they were in England 200 years ago. You know what the headspace was of people in England 200 years ago? They thought 
that you could only be saved if God had sovereignly ordained it. They thought that God decided who would be saved and who would not be saved. And they were hoping that they would be saved. So when John Wesley stood up on the street corner and said, whoever wishes can be saved, that you can choose, people flocked into church and got saved because their headspace was different. People don't think like that anymore, so street preaching doesn't work, door knocking doesn't work, tracks don't work, but the gospel does work. The gospel is powerful. You seen that screen we had up before church? We might pop that up just very briefly again. This is what Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Was Paul telling the truth? Yes, the gospel has power. But what we think is the gospel and what Paul was thinking with the gospel is not quite the same thing. So that's why we're going to answer that question today because as soon as you see what I'm saying, you'll probably breathe a sigh of relief like what I did and you'll realise, wow, that's true. The gospel is the power of salvation and you're going to feel so much better about sharing the gospel. So that's my goal this morning. Um, and Jesus did say, let's quickly read these two verses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, now, what I'm not saying this morning, I'm not saying don't share the gospel. I am not saying that at all. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus said to his disciples that they would be witnesses. And you will be witnesses. That's your job. That's your Christian task to be a witness of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, this is the famous Great Commission passage, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God, the Lord Jesus, gives you the job of going and making disciples. So I'm not, what I'm not saying this morning is that you don't have the responsibility. You do still have a responsibility of being a witness. You have a responsibility of sharing the gospel. The Lord has given it to all of his people to be Christians, people who share the good news of Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying to you this morning is it doesn't mean door knocking. and It doesn't mean buttonholing people and, and sharing a certain few specific things that you think the gospel is. I want to share what the gospel actually is. And then when you think about that, the more you're going to realise, I can actually do that, and it will actually have power. You think God's going to give you a job that's impossible? No, he's not going to give you an impossible job. He's going to give you something you can actually do and can actually have an effect. So years ago, this is 2014, I was watching... a. a a show on TV called The Bible um, with my wife. We were sitting up late one night and we were watching episode 10. The Bible only had 10 episodes and I love that show. Has anyone seen The Bible? It's just, yep, not too many. It's on Apple TV and it's on various places. So it's, it's the entire Bible in 10 episodes 
The first episode starts with Noah narrating. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens. And he's on the ark, and he's telling his three sons and their, their wives about, in the beginning, what God said. And as he's telling it, there's all these screenshots, like all these cutbacks to what God did. You know, and on day one, he said, let there be light. And you see light exploding in the universe. It's an amazing beginning, that first episode. And I was hooked from the first minute of the Bible. And if you just want to see the Bible in 10 hours, that's an amazing TV show. Um, fully brought to life, David killing Goliath, Samson you know, tearing down the temple, Philistines, the whole thing. A great thing. We got right down to episode 10, and there's John on the island of Patmos. And he gets right down to the very last minute, and John's there. And there's the Lord Jesus standing before him, and Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. And John's eyes are filled with tears. And right in that moment, I heard the Lord speak to me. I was totally not expecting the Lord to speak to me because I was watching TV. But I heard this voice speak to me. Now, I know some people don't think the Lord can speak. Well, I heard a voice speak to me, and it seemed so much like the Lord was speaking. And he said the strangest thing. And at the time, I didn't get it. He said, I have called you to write the gospel. Now, the reason it's the strangest thing is because the gospel's already been written. I'm not being called to write the Bible now. The Bible already exists. We're not replacing the Bible. And the gospel already exists. Well, at least in my mind, I knew what the gospel was. It sounded like God didn't know how to speak English. That's what it sounded like. You know, because I would have thought he would have said, I've called you to write about the gospel. Or I've called you to explain the gospel. But no, he said, I've called you to write the gospel. This is the strangest thing. And you know what? I've been thinking about that for eight years. To this very day, I've still been thinking about that because of the strange turn of phrase that I had never thought, I don't think any human would have said that to me, but God said it because he wanted me to think about it. So it wasn't that long later after that, well, it was about four years later, I was um, doing some studies and I was studying the atonement. The atonement is, you know, what does it mean? What's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually mean? And um, there's all these theories about the atonement and by the way, I think they're all true. Sometimes people have scientific theories, but they're competing theories. It's either this or it's that or it's something else. But all the theories of the atonement, they're all true. We, when we focus on one of the theories of the atonement, like he came to ransom us from our sin, that's called ransom theory, that's true. Or when we think about what they call um, substitutionary atonement, now he came and took the place of our sins that's true. It's not like one's true and the other one isn't. They're both true. And I talked last week about the Christus Victor theory, where Jesus came to defeat the power of the devil's schemes. That's true. All the theories of the atonement, they're all true. They're all like facets of a diamond. You kind of can look at it from lots of different angles and understand more and more and more about it the more you look. So I was studying the atonement in Theology 101. You know, there's all these theology subjects and they get more and more complicated as they go along. We were doing Theology 1, studying the atonement. And someone said, 
The best book I've ever read is called The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. And um, he, he was about the atonement and stuff like that. And I made a little note. Sometime, buy that book, read that book. Everyone make a note. The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. Now, part of it was also the fact that in my mind, I'm also asking myself this question, what is the gospel? Because I've been contemplating it ever since 2014 when I got that word. Because if, if the Lord was asking me to write the gospel, uh, what is it I'm actually going to be writing? It turns out you're all called to write the gospel too. You're all called to speak the gospel too. You're all called to proclaim the gospel too. That's what Christians are called to do. It's a Christian thing. It's a Christian responsibility. But, you know, I was still thinking about it. So when they, this book was mentioned by a fellow student, who said, he said, this is the best Christian book I've ever read. I went and got that book. I actually listened to it. I got it on Audible. And I would have to put it up there as one of the top few books I've read as well. When Jonathan started as a pastor here on staff a few months ago, I said to him, you're required to read this book. <laughs> now, I'm not a very pushy human being, so there's not that many things I require, but I did want him to read that book, and he has read it. When I heard that Jason and Liz were going to Blackall to be pastors, I said, you guys have got to read this book. I think every pastor should read that book. I think every Christian should read that book because it's what I'm talking about this morning. It's the answer to the question, what is the gospel? Now, most people think that the gospel is the information on how to be a Christian. So if I said to you, have you shared the gospel with anyone lately? They would think it means, have I told anyone how to become a Christian lately? Right? Isn't what most people think? Okay, so that's not the gospel. No, no, no. That, is a, that would be included in the gospel, but the gospel is so much more bigger than that and it's, the gospel is a big topic, not a small set of instructions on how to become a Christian. Most people think the gospel is these four points. One, I'm a sinner. No, one, you're a sinner. Two, you need to get saved. Three, Christ died for you. Four, repent and receive the good news. Or repent and believe. People think that those four points are the gospel. Those are the things you do when you start to understand the gospel. But no, that's not what... When, you're, when you go to share the gospel with someone, that's not where you start. Those are not the things you say. You don't start with telling people they're going to hell. You don't start telling people they're a sinner. Those will come along in time when people are ready to hear them. But people will not be ready to hear them if they don't hear the gospel. So what I'm going to do, because some people might be sceptical, and certainly if no one here is sceptical... There'll be people who'll be watching this video in the future that may be questioning what's he talking about. What, what I'd like to do now is actually go and pull some verses out of the Bible that have the word gospel in them. And I'd like to then ask you the question, what does that word mean? Now, there are, the word gospel in Greek is wangelio. Um, the, it's the word evangelio, but the V is a U. Wangelio, where we get the word evangelization from which means to, you know, share the gospel. So sometimes translators don't put the word gospel in, they put in other things like the good news. So you might be reading 
some of the translations that come up now might not say gospel, they might say good news, but the word that's behind it in Greek is evangelio or wangelio, which literally means the gospel. So, I'm going to show you four verses. The first one is Matthew 4, verse 23. This is one we shared last week. This is about Jesus. And it says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus preached the gospel, but he hadn't died yet. Jesus had not died yet. He had not been risen from the dead yet, but he's preaching the gospel. How do you tell people that Jesus died on the cross for your sins when he actually had not died on the cross yet and he had not risen from the dead yet? What was Jesus telling them? What gospel was Jesus telling all the people if it wasn't that he died on the cross for their sins? You see what I'm trying to say? Obviously the gospel was something else. How about Luke chapter 2, verse 10? Um, and the angel said to them, so this is, now this is the story of, this is the Christmas story where the angel appeared to the shepherds, and we read this on Christmas Day just a few weeks ago. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, for I bring you good news. By the way, that is the gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel was saying to the shepherds, I'm bringing you the gospel. Was the angel telling them to repent of their sins, that Jesus had died on the cross? To, was that what the angel was telling them, or was the angel telling them something else? See what I'm starting to say? There's actually a lot of verses in the Bible where the word gospel appears, and if you think about it, it's not the gospel you would have previously been thinking it was. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Um, and truly, now by the way, this is the story where a woman came up to Jesus and broke a jar of perfume all over his legs. This jar of perfume is worth a lot of money, like a year's wages. And Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Have you ever heard anyone tell the story of this woman when they've been sharing the gospel? You know, is that the missing fifth step of the gospel message? One, repent. Two, tell the story of the lady that broke the perfume. Three, now that's not one of the steps. But for some reason, Jesus is saying, wherever the gospel is told, what this lady has done will be remembered. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, so this is the start of Mark's gospel. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So I'm pretty sure I've, this is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is telling people, Jewish people, the kingdom of God is nearly here. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus hadn't even come yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. John the Baptist didn't even know who Jesus was yet, but he's telling them to repent and believe the gospel. What is this gospel that we're supposed to share? And what is this gospel that has power for salvation? You see, you get the point now, it's a little bit different to what you've been thinking all along, right? Okay. What helped, what really clicked it for me was um, obviously reading the book by Scott McKnight really helped, 
But I want to pop up a photo now, the first of my two pictures this morning. This is Matthew's Gospel. When you go to the Bible and you go to the New Testament, the very, fir- the very first thing you will see in your Bible when you open it to the New Testament is that. The Gospel according to Matthew. So what is the Gospel according to Matthew? Think about it for a minute. It's the entire story of Jesus. The Gospel according to Matthew is not just the Passion Week. It's not just the part where Jesus died and went to the cross and rose again. That's not the part that's the Gospel. The entire story of Jesus was called the Gospel. The Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Mark. Notice how Mark and Matthew didn't share it the same way, but they were both the Gospel. The Gospel according to Luke. And they... It was written a different way again. Luke wrote the gospel with Gentile people in mind, people that didn't have a Jewish background. The gospel according to John, the most Jewish of all the gospels. See how they're all gospels. That, when I realised that, I thought, oh, the gospel, when I realised that thought, that the whole story of Jesus was the gospel, it really started to click for me. And then look at this next picture. What do you think that says? <laughs> uh, good luck in reading that anyway, even if you could see it. So this is called the Gospel of Augustus Caesar. Now, um, in 9 BC, so this is nine years rough oil, it's actually about five years before Jesus was born, this plaque was put up onto a building in a, a town in Western Turkey. Uh, what's the name of that town? Prien or Prien? which was discovered by archaeologists in recent times. And basically, this was like a proclamation. And in 9 BC, that was roughly the year that Augustus became Caesar. You know, Augustus became Caesar. And you know what this description prescription says? It says, this is the good news that Augustus is Lord. This is the gospel. Now, it's not the gospel that the same gospel as our gospel, but in the Roman brain and in Greek writing, this, the gospel was the declaration that Augustus had become the Lord. Well, if I was to summarise the news of the gospel right down to one sentence, I would say the gospel is the declaration that Jesus is the King. But if you were to take it as a slightly bigger idea, It's the whole story of Jesus. It's the story of what Jesus came to do. Jesus was born. That's why the Christmas story is the gospel. That's why when Jesus is born, the angels are saying they're going to proclaim the gospel because the king has been born. Do you know that that's why Mark's gospel starts with almost the exact same words as what was written there about Augustus Caesar, proclaiming the good news that the Lord has come. When we share the gospel, we often don't share the part that actually is the gospel, the part that Jesus is the king or that Jesus is the Lord. It's so much easier to talk about the whole story of Jesus than to start with the point that you're going to hell and you need to be saved. When you start with that point, you put people on the back foot right from the beginning. But when you start by bringing up 
Jesus, he's actually interesting. People want to talk about Jesus. And you had so many opportunities to talk about him all the time, especially at Christmas and Easter when it becomes supremely easy to talk about Jesus, but not just at those two times. I've had so many conversations with people about Jesus and it's never, ever been awkward. Just especially at Christmas time. But recently, when it was Christmas, I was talking to people about Jesus all the time, everywhere I went. You'd be in the shops and you'd say to, you'd, a song would be playing, Joy to the Lord, world, the Lord has come. And I remember, I was at my head, the hairdresser I was talking to you about, I think I shared this story, and I was saying to her, that song is so true. The world is so much better since Jesus came. And so we had a conversation about that. Well, you know what? That's not threatening at all. That's not hard to do at all. People are interested to know about Jesus. Jesus is an actual human that lived in the world and did actual things. And it's just as natural to talk about him as to talk about anyone. And Jesus did things which were so unique and so interesting. Just about anything in this world can be talked about and you can relate it to Jesus. And it's so easy to do. I remember recently being somewhere where they were talking about um, you know, how in their perspective, women were not being treated as well as men. And I remembered saying at the time, well, thank God for Jesus and what he came and did. Because, you know, he included women. And I was able to just connect it with that thought that in the mind of God and in the mind of Jesus, men and women were the same. And he loved them all the same and they were equal. Well, it just about no matter what topic comes up, you can just mention the Lord, mention the scripture. And every time you do that, you're sharing the gospel. Every time you connect it to the story of Christ, you're connecting it to the gospel. And guess what? There's power in it. People are changed when they hear those things. I remember years ago saying to someone, it was on Good Friday, and I think we were on our way to church and we were getting fuel, and I remembered saying to the lady at the fuel station, I wonder why it's called Good Friday when someone died. Now, I knew the answer, of course, but I never, ever said it like a statement of what I knew. I just said it like a question. I wonder why it's called Good Friday when Jesus died. Well, you know what? That's powerful. It's so powerful. That's the gospel, by the way, because you're putting that seed about Christ into the mind of someone. Your job as witnesses is, is to get them to think about Jesus. When they think about, it's not your job to get them to think about salvation. They will think about salvation once they've thought about Jesus. Your job is to get them to think about Jesus. And you can do it in a completely non-kooky way by just being you. You can go to work. You can say, yesterday at church, you won't believe what the preacher said. See, now it's not you, it's what the preacher said. He said that Jesus said this. And you know what? It's so easy to have a whole workplace discussion about what that preacher said at church yesterday. It's not even hard. And people are actually interested. Can you believe that Jesus said we should love our enemies? There's no way I could love so-and-so. Start the discussion. But people go away thinking, why would Jesus have said that? And there's power in that. People remember that stuff. Why would Jesus have said that? That's the strangest thing. 
people contemplate those things and there is power in the gospel. Anytime you talk about Christ, the Holy Spirit is at work and there's power in the situation, especially when you go away later and pray for them. And it's better off, in the world we live in today, it's better off for people to form their own conclusions than for you to tell them the conclusions for them to form themselves. So don't tell them you're a sinner and you're going to hell and you need to be saved. Ask them or, or bring up topics that let them come to their own conclusions. And when they come to their own conclusions, they'll be really convinced. Right? That's how it works. When you've looked into a matter and decided something, you've really decided it. And it's really hard to undecide it. You need a lot of really good evidence to change your mind about something. Your job is to just to talk about Christ. The gospel is, is to point people to Jesus, not to go through the steps of salvation. They'll get to that, step two. So that's why we have a gospel according to Matthew. What is that? That's the story of Jesus. So as, as those early Jewish people were going around the world, those early Jewish people were the, the early Christians, they were all Jewish, as they went around the world, they told the story of Jesus. There was this carpenter, and he, particularly, particularly Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel was very, very straight and punchy and to the point. Mark's gospel can be compared to an action novel. Now, we don't get it in um, English, but in Greek, Mark's gospel is like an action story, okay? If you want, it, it goes, it is no Christmas story, it's just straight into the punch. There was this guy, and he healed people. And it was just, it was bang, 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 bang. The Gospel of Mark is, is like that. And it was the first of all the Gospels, and when people heard the Gospel of Mark, they got saved. Because there was power in it. Well, I reckon people need to tell the story of Jesus today. In modern words, in modern English. There's power in talking about Jesus. There's two ways of talking about Jesus, and we're going to start to wrap this all up. One is to talk about what Jesus has done for you, like your personal version of the gospel. You know, I really struggled before I knew the Lord. You could tell your friends. You don't force it on them, but when they're going through a difficulty or something, you could say to them, can I pray for you? I know that it made a lot of difference when I started praying myself. Um, people are very, very incredibly open to prayer, unbelievably open to prayer. And you can say to them, I don't answer the prayer. Jesus answers the prayer. Would, would you be open to us having a prayer? All you're doing is you're pointing them to Jesus. It's the gospel. That's what's all the way through the gospel. And he healed all those who came to him. I remember my neighbours um, back at Fitzroy Street, and we still haven't brought them to Christ. We're working on it. We have dinner with them every month. And, um, but he had a, um, an issue with cancer, but I didn't know that he also had a sore shoulder. And um, Marie had said, oh, he had a cancer scare. And uh, Marie had said to me, why don't you go next door and pray for the neighbours? So Marie had asked the neighbours, would you be open to David coming and praying for you? You know, he's a pastor. So um, 
show up so they let me go over there and I didn't know what to do and as I was walking over there this verse popped into my brain from Mark chapter 16 that says if you lay hands on the sick they will recover so I didn't promise them anything I never said God promises if I lay hands on you you'll recover that is not what I said what I said was this is what the Bible says because people you know I'm just proclaiming the gospel I'm not making a promise to them if for some weird reason God doesn't do it the way. Sometimes God has a different way of coming around and it still fulfills his word, but it's different to what you think. I just read the Bible to them. I said, you know, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to show you what the Bible says. It says here in Mark chapter 16 that if I lay hands, if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. And I said, would you like, would you be open to me laying hands on you? It's worth a shot, right? So I put it across as like, I can't promise you this is going to happen, but hey, let's give it a go. And you know what? Most people will be open to you giving it a go. So I laid hands on his shoulder. I had no idea he had a sore shoulder. All I knew was that he was scared about cancer, and he was healed of a sore shoulder. And then it turned out later that the cancer scare was, was not true. Or maybe it was true, but he got healed, one or the other. But as he didn't tell me at the time, but he, his wife texted Marie the next day and said, you know, when your husband prayed for, for him, that his shoulder stopped hurting. Well, isn't that amazing? I didn't even know that was going to happen. I didn't even know to pray for that. All I did was read him, read him a bit of the gospel and prayed for him, and the Lord does the rest. Well, those dear folks are very open to conversations about Jesus. They're just open to conversations about Jesus. You can just talk about Jesus with them because it's easy. And I'd like to tell you it's actually easy to talk about Jesus with everyone. I'm supposed to be finishing, so I'm going to tell you one more little story to hopefully encourage you. I had, um, there was this man and his, his partner in Mount Morgan who were so antagonistic to the church I don't know that I've met anyone more antagonistic to the church than these people. And they lived in the caravan park at Mount Morgan, which was run by Tony Kosh, who came to the church in Mount Morgan. So Tony came to our church, but these people were in the caravan park and hated the church. And um, so you could not talk to them about church. If you said to them, oh, come to church this Sunday, he would have given you a mouthful of expletives about blasted church and, and I hate church and this is what church did to me and, and all of that's true because I've heard, heard him say it with my very own ears. But you could talk to him about Jesus. Isn't that funny? You can talk to people about Jesus even if you can't talk to them about church. Now I ended up having dinner with that guy every Saturday night for about two years because I made it my mission to bring him to Christ. Well, he ended up leaving Mount Morgan before I had accomplished my mission, so I don't know what has become of him because he was never a communicator. But before he left Mount Morgan, I got him into church twice on at least two occasions. There was one Sunday when I was away and I said to Tony, who ran the caravan park, would you preach for me? And Tony said to this bloke, he said, David asked me to preach. Can you come along and be my encouragement? So he went along to church with Tony not for him, but for Tony. To, you know, be an encouragement to Tony because, you know, someone's got to be there to hold your hand, so to speak. Well, you know, he went to church. Because a relationship had been building, 
based on friendship, but during those meals, I would sit with him, we'd sit with him and his partner on Saturday nights. We would watch TV every Saturday night, the same thing, Monarch of the Glen on ABC. Some of you might have heard of that show. I'm not endorsing it, by the way, because I do not remember what's in it. Some kind of Scottish show, you know. Someone had a castle in Scotland. And we watched that show, have dinner, and in the process that we would talk about all sorts of things, and of course, naturally, we'd talk about Jesus, because you just do. And they never, ever once resisted talking about Jesus. Not even once. People are open to Jesus. You have to believe it. You cannot be scared of it. People even like talking about Jesus. And then, of course, before my friend left Mount Morgan, he even came to church of his own will without being there as a support for Tony, just because. Now, I suspect he wanted to come as a kind of a thank you to me for being a good friend for all those years. But the fact is you can influence people and change them without buttonholing him. I never once told him he was a sinner. I never once told him he was going to hell. You know what, he knew it anyway. He didn't need me to tell him. Um, but he, he warmed up. He warmed up to the church and he warmed up to fellowship because he knew he was loved. And through that whole entire time, he was open to talk about Jesus anytime. And you will find the same. Don't buttonhole people and say, hey, we're going to talk about Jesus. No, that's going to push people into a conversation they don't want to have. But you're going to bring Jesus into everything because you're a Christian. And that's called being a witness. If anything happens around you which is a need, you're going to pray for people. You're going to offer it to them. You're going to say, Jesus has helped me. He can help you. Can we pray about it? People will be open to that because they are. People are so open to it. And a lot of them will think you mean later, and you can pray later, but sometimes you can pray for them right then and there in that moment, and that's even better because when you pray right then and there in that moment, they hear the words you say, they hear, and of course you can even say things in the prayer, which is kind of like an explaining things to them moment. But you can say things like, Lord, you love this person so much. I ask that you would bless them and help them. And um, if you ever get given a chance to say grace, so you have a, you're at a, a meal and you've got people there and you've given the chance to say grace and there's non-Christians, you can share the gospel in the middle of your grace. I do it all the time. I say, Lord, I ask you to bless this food and bless these people and show them how good you are and show them how much you love them. Well, that's a prayer that counts as grace. Well, in the middle of that, they learn that Jesus loves them and he intends good for them. And you're proclaiming the gospel in the middle of your grace. So we're going to conclude by summarising, I guess. You are called to be witnesses, no doubt about it. You don't have to feel this pressure to tell people that they're a sinner and going to hell. They are a sinner and they are going to hell and there'll come a time when those things will be explained. But if you start with that, you may as well you know, shoot yourself in the foot and you never get going. You've got to be smart, okay? You know, you've got to be an intelligent Christian. <laughs> so if you're wanting to win someone over, if you want to win an argument, so to speak, but we, we don't even want to start an argument, but let's say you're going to win an argument, 
you don't start by putting a person on the back foot. You want to win their love, win their appreciation. You want them to know that you're on the same side as them. You don't start by telling them that you're going to hell. Bad start. But you tell them things that they can think about, they can consider. So the gospel is Christ. Truth be known, the gospel is the declaration that Jesus is the Lord. And that's what I was sharing last week. Go and listen to last week's sermon and catch up on that thought. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he was the Lord of heaven and earth. And things changed. The earth has changed. The future of the earth has changed. The nations now belong to Christ. He is the Lord. And that is good news. It's good news for people alive then. It's good news for people now. And that is the gospel. The good news is we have a king, we have a Lord, and he's in charge, but we begin, people might not get all those concepts in one go, so we begin by just pointing them to Christ, giving them things to think about, being ever-present to pray for them, to encourage them, and you are called to be a witness of all those things. You are called to point people to Christ. You are called to pray for their salvation. And there'll come a moment when someone will say, how do I be saved? Well, tell them. When they get to that point, that they realise they need Jesus, tell them the other gospel, the one that you would have thought to tell them first, but now they've come to the point where they're ready. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said all of these things... There came a point when the people said, how do we be saved? And then he said, repent and, re and believe, and you will be saved, you and your family. So that's not where we begin. It certainly is important, and it certainly is needed, and you are certainly called to witness. So no guilt trip, but contemplation. Ask yourself, how can I be a Christian who points people to Christ. And it turns out it's easy. You can all do it. If you don't know how, Facebook. That's a great start. I'm not saying every week. I'm not saying be a, a Bible basher. But you can post things on Facebook. This sermon from church yesterday really impacted me. Don't even say what it was. Make people clickbait. Huh. What really impacted you? I want to find out. Click. Stuff like that. It's not as hard to share the gospel as what you think. Or you're reading your Bible and a verse jumps out at you. Put it on Instagram. You know they do that fancy thing with words and there's a picture in the background. Well, I don't know what you call that thing. I'm not on Instagram. But put the verse up. Say, this verse really touched my heart. People will wonder, why did that verse touch your heart? They'll read it. They'll think about it. If someone likes it, they'll see more of it. So keep doing it. <laughs> it's not as hard as what you think. Pray for the people around you. Pray for your work colleagues. If you're a teacher, pray for the students in your class. That they'll get hungry. I know Dr. Patson does that type of thing with the students in his class. Pray for your neighbours. Pray that the Lord will give you a chance to speak of him. He will. They happen all the time. So I want to start this year 
with these thoughts, the ones that I've just shared, I want you to know that you are called to be a witness. You are called to share the gospel. The gospel isn't those four steps. The gospel is a big picture about who Christ is. You point people to Christ and, and you will find that as you do, there's power at work in those people's lives, especially as you pray for them as well. So I'm going to invite the band to come back. And what I want to do um, as we... We're going to conclude with a prayer and a song, but I want you to think to yourself, how can I be a witness of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you to be a Bible basher or to be a pushy encyclopedia salesman or anything like that, but how can you reflect Jesus Christ to the people around you so that you cause them to think about the Lord so that you spark their interest, how can you live a click-baity type of life? Okay? You're not going to tell them what to think. You're going to cause them to think about the Lord Jesus Christ by the things you say and the things you do. You're going to point him to the Lord, point them to the Lord so that they will have their own thoughts and become interested in him for themselves. Okay? That's your job your job this week is to think on how to do that, and your job this year is to actually do some things along that line. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you it is the power for salvation, and I am so grateful that it touched my life and impacted me. I'm so grateful for everyone here that it's been an impact on each of them, and I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be witnesses. I ask that you'd give us the Holy Spirit's power so that we can be effective in doing a good job. Help us not to be pushy, but help us to have power Help us to do a good job. Give us grace, I pray. And Lord, this morning, I ask you to bless everyone as they go about their Sunday and about their week ahead. I pray you give us success and prosperous and bless us all in this life of Christian service. In Jesus' name, amen.